I'm Jen Drummond, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go! Hey, winners, welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Dr. Seuss and says, You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. Our guest today is Jen Drummond, who achieved business success as the founder and CEO of a thriving financial services company. After moving to Park City, Utah to enjoy the outdoors with her seven kids, life was traveling a little bit too smoothly until a fateful moment that changed her life forever. It was a snowy evening in 2018 when a horrific car accident brought Jen just inches away from death. The authorities and experts couldn't figure out how she managed to survive against such impossible odds. But for Jen, it was an important realization that while we cannot control when we leave this life, we can choose how we live it. Since then, Jen has become the first woman to climb the world's seven second summits, the second tallest mountains on every continent. That includes K2, the second highest mountain on earth, widely considered the toughest and most dangerous mountain to climb. When she's not climbing mountains, Jen travels the world as a professional speaker where she shares her journey of setback and triumph. She's also the author of new book, Breakproof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience, and achieve your life goals. In this episode, we're going to talk about the fateful night that changed Jen's life forever, how to stay positive when it feels like everything is against you, the most interesting moments from her mountaineering adventures, and how to reach the summit of your greatest challenge. Before we begin, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Jen Drummond. Jen, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Well, you've had an incredible journey. To kick it off, is there a story of struggle or success from when you were younger that would ultimately put you on the path that you went down or that helped contribute to the path you I would say, yes, I can remember a story where my grandma lived a mile away from us. And so for me to be able to go to grandma's house, which meant I got gum to chew, um, <laughs> the things that matter when you're five. Sure. Um, yes, I had to ride my bike without training wheels. So my dad took off my training wheels and we had a gravel driveway that I learned how to ride my bike on. And after a couple of spills, my dad's like, we're going in. We'll try again tomorrow. Like, this is enough. I'm like, you can go in. I'm figuring this out. <laughs> so I stayed on that gravel driveway, scraped up and figured out how to ride my bike without training wheels and got that gum. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I love that <laughs> determination and, and persistence, which has obviously carried you um, in, through great things that you've been able to achieve and, and continue to achieve. What, what was life like for you in Park City leading up? to the accident, paint, paint a picture of, of how everything was. Yeah. You. you know, when I first moved to Park City in 2015, it was super fun because I moved in January. And so then I wasn't able to be involved in anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I wasn't room mom. I wasn't a soccer coach. I was nothing. So my kids would go to school and I had all this time to do me. And I just remember like, wow, this is amazing. Well, you have seven children into a community. You have seven tentacles out there. So by the fall, I was back into who Jen was. I was running classrooms. I was helping with sports. I was doing all things kids. And I mean, I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it. Um, and I definitely didn't love it at the degree I was doing it. Uh, I was probably getting burned out. And so I was just going through life. And my story was when my kids launch, I'll get back to me. 
But right now it's the season of raising kids and this is my lot and I'm just going to accept it and make the most of it. And, you know, counting the days till I could like do things without feeling guilty for doing them. How long had that season lasted for? Um, you know, like it was novelty moving to Park City in 2015. I mean, I would definitely say three years. Yeah. I mean, until the accident happened. I say that because my wife and I, we have a four and a half year old as our oldest. We also have a 20 month old son. And those times in life where you feel like, oh, it's just a busy week or it's a crazy day, you realize looking down at a four and a half year old, you're like, wow, this is actually our life. Something that you think can just be a season. You can you know, open your eyes and it's like, oh my God, we've got a four-year-old or a 10-year-old. It's so easy for that to happen. That's just passes by. Yeah, it does. It does. And you're in a season where like I knew I needed to be home for a while when my little kids were little and breastfeeding and all those different pieces. But then once they got to school, all of a sudden I had some time back. And instead of taking that time for me, I took that time and dumped it into them more and like commitments outside the home with them. And not saying that that's not admirable, but it is something you have to keep an eye on and make sure you don't lose yourself in the process. Exactly. If you lose your sense of self and you yes. try and attribute that to the kids and you can grow up with some resentment, there's a whole bunch of ways. Yeah, that like it, it leaks out weird ways, right? Yeah. Like it's not always so obvious. For sure. And the accident, that was obviously a huge pivotal turning point in your life. Can you describe that whole situation? Yeah, for us? that accident changed my life. Um, you know, I was driving home. And on the highway, paying attention to the side of the road, looking at the reservoir, taking it all in. My attention got brought back to the road. I realized I was coming up hot on a semi and I needed to get over to the other lane. I looked at my rearview mirror. I could get over. So I started moving over. Something was on the side of the road, though, and the semi was pulling a trailer. And so he kind of moved over a little bit, too. And that back trailer swung out and I hit it. Um, went end over end three times, rolled sideways, was upside down in the median, like literally waiting to get hit again. Hollywood has taught us like the accident doesn't end. Um, but I'm lucky for me, a person came, pulled the windshield down or like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I remember looking at them. Okay. They're talking like the sounds coming back. Okay. They're talking to me. Am I okay? I don't know if I'm okay. And looking at you, it's kind of scary. So I don't know if I want to look at me based on your facial expression. So I closed my eyes. And I say this because I still do this to this day. I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. And I remember thinking, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. I'm okay. And I only say that because when it gets noisy or loud or I get anxiety before I'm doing something, like I'll close my eyes and shut the world out. Like, I can feel my fingers and toes. Like, I'm okay. Life's okay. And so that was a big, pivotal moment in my life. I went to the hospital. Everything checked out okay. I came home and I walked in that front door and I saw my kids. And it was like the first time I was really like, what happens if that I wouldn't have seen them? Like, what happens if I didn't get to come home right now? Like, what would have my last encounters be? It's just fascinating to think about. Absolutely. Another thing you share there is about the reaction where someone is looking at you like something has to be wrong, right? It's like when you look at a toddler or a kid who has injured themselves and they base their response how you react to it. It's like, oh my God, you must be in so much pain. Yes. And all of a sudden they start, they start crying. It's like you actually went within yourself. You blocked out the world and thought, you know what? You did your own assessment. Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Um, how... Did airbags and all that go off? Or? Oh, everything. Yeah. I mean, everything. Kind of like floating in the sky at that point. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and when, when the police came, they're like, we thought there's no way there's a human alive. And then 
when they saw the type of car it was, it actually has special airbags. I'm like, well, maybe. And so then I was. The unique thing is, is I got a phone call from the police station a couple weeks after the accident because they're trying to get a little bit more information. Because they said, we've rebuilt this accident 50 different times. We cannot build one where you live, let alone walk away. And so we're trying to figure out like, what don't we have right that is allowing you to be here still to this day? And then, so I have that happen. A couple of weeks after that, I have a girlfriend that I know that asked me to go running. I said, I can't make it today. It's kind of wet out anyways. She went for a run, slipped, hit her head on a rock, never came home. So I survived this horrific accident. She does something that's healthy. And it was in that moment, I'm like, you know what? I don't get to choose when I die but I sure get to choose how I live. Mm. And every day is a choice on how I'm going to live this life. I have so many questions on that. My first one, what type of car was it that you were in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Porsche Cayenne. Nice. So, Shout yeah, out yeah, to yes. Porsche for, for making yes, good, good quality you, cars. I'm taking sponsorships. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and what? a lot of people have a situation like that and they get more comfortable living behind the closed doors where they say, you know what, I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. You did the complete opposite. You took what had happened. You took that, you know, that obviously horrible and tragic situation that happened to your friend. And you said, you know what, I'm going to actually go and climb mountains. It's like you leaned more into it. And a good friend of mine, Dr. Mark Goulston, who's been on the show now twice, he said that most people view the world as a danger to be avoided, whereas the truly great visionaries see it as an adventure to be lived. Such an adventure. Yeah. And you're one of those people who see it as an adventure to live. So can you take us into how your mindset changed after that? Yeah. Well, so I survive a horrific crash, right? That makes no sense. She does something that we're encouraged to do and doesn't get to come home. So I'm like, okay, I have no control on this thing. Like I could be walking down the street and get hit or I could be climbing a mountain and fall off, I guess, and die. So I'm not going to play, how do I avoid death? I'm going to play, how do I make the most out of this life? And so for 2019, I'm making bucket lists after bucket list after bucket list of like, what do I want to see? Who do I want to become? What do I want to try? What do I want to taste? Like all the things, because no longer was I concerned about what you or anybody else thought of me. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to do all the things this planet had to offer. Because when you think about it, there's oceans to swim in and like all kinds of stuff. And so it was very much, yeah, I was like, Hey, I mean, I could die tomorrow. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) What about your daily routine, conversations with kids, that type of thing? Was there anything that you, in terms of maybe being more present or asking more questions or allocating more time with them? Was there anything like that with relationship with your kids or in terms of your own daily routine that you optimized very quickly afterwards? Oh, 100 percent. Like I would say the unique thing about the accident was it was going so fast that I was going slow. Like I dilated time in that moment to be able to be conscious and I didn't leave my body. Like I think some people leave their body and watch it. Like I was in the accident and I remember coming home and a few weeks or whatever go by and I get a call from the principal's office because one of my kids is being a turd and the principal <laughs> calls me and he's like, whatever. He's like, you actually sound a little happy that I called you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound happy. I'm just so ecstatic that I'm here to take this call. Like there's such a possibility that I would never be here to be here for this call. And so every moment is just such a gift. It's not good. It's not bad. It's I get to experience it. And I remember like watching my kids fight. And before I'd be like, oh, stop fighting with your sibling. Like everybody get along. Wah, 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 wah. And now I'm looking at them watching them fight. And I'm in awe. 
Like this kid has this opinion. This one has that opinion. They care so much about the other person that they want them to believe the same thing that they believe and come together on this thing. And so instead of like telling them not, I mean, no one was getting hurt, right? No one was saying mean things. They were just getting loud about like what they believed. I'm like, how cool is that? That they're that passionate about what they believe that they want others to follow them. And so it was just such, like, there's so much beauty that I think I missed out on before because I was just so busy doing. Mm. How do people choose how they live their life and really empower themselves without having to go through something like you went through, like a near-death experience? Yeah, you know, I think we learn how to slow down. I think we learn how to become present again. So for me, I've set up a lot of trigger point meditations. And so, for example, every single time I touch a doorknob in my house, that's a signal for me to take a deep breath in and just reconnect and get out of the pace that I'm in, right? Like we just get into these paces or these routines um, every time I'm at a red light. That's my gratitude light. So that's a signal like, what am I grateful for right now? This is a moment the world's given me to pause and to connect back to who I am and how I want to show up. So I'm very intentional about like getting off of autopilot and interrupting myself so that I can check back in and be like, am I showing up how I want to show up? Am I being authentic? Am I making choices that are leading me in the direction I want to go? Or am I creating obstacles by my mind? Yeah, you, you have a process of creating all of that awareness for you on autopilot, where yes. the alternative is people just going faster and faster. It's like, I will get out of burnout by running harder on the treadmill, when of course all you're doing is getting closer to it. Yeah, 100%. Like I, you know, I was an athlete and rest days were always my hardest. Like, I'm like, are you sure we shouldn't be doing anything today? Like, I think we should be. She's like, no, rest days is active. She would put active rest day. In there for me so that I took it as like an action. And when we do that active pause, that intentional break, now we can respond instead of react. Mm. And there's so much power in responding. So you're FaceTiming her from the top of K2. It's like, here I am on my active rest day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally, totally. We'll be back with the show shortly. I've got a quick question for you. Are you living up to your potential? It's a question that shapes your family, your business, and your overall happiness every single day. That's why I'm excited to introduce the Win The Day Quiz. Head over to winthedayquiz.com right now, answer a few thought-provoking questions, and you'll instantly discover how well you're performing relative to your true potential. And here's the exciting part for our Win The Day family. As a fan of the show, you'll receive a personalized and absolutely free action plan to help you win the day every day. Now, just imagine how transformational the results will be when you consistently show up as the best version of yourself in every aspect of your life. Don't miss out. Take the Win The Day quiz now by visiting winthedayquiz.com or click the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the show. So how did the mountaineering thing come on your radar? A lot of people are like, cool, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go stand up paddle boarding or something yeah. like that. You looked around and thought, you know what? There's a lot of big ass mountains out there that need to be climbed. What was the transition for you to be able to say, cool, I'm going to do this? I mean, it's so bizarre, right? Like how we get led to the path that we take. Um, I was turning 40 in 2020. So I wanted to, um, and on my bucket list, 
I had things I'm like, okay, these are going to be good things to do in my 40s. Museums and stuff can probably wait till my 90s. And so what's this list that I want to start like looking at? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday to launch this decade and like make it significant. And so I asked friends of our mountaineers. I live in Park City. So in all fairness, I'm surrounded by mountains. And a couple of my friends said, you should climb Ama de Blom. I'm like, okay, I don't know that mountain. And they're like, well, it's the Paramount Pictures logo. It means the mother's necklace. It's located in the Himalayas. It's this gorgeous mountain, da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to climb Ama de Blom. Sounds perfect. COVID hits. And so now I said, I'm a homeschool teacher to seven humans because school's shut down and I'm not going anywhere. And, and if there's one thing that parents love, it's being trapped in a house with seven kids without being able to go outside for an extended period of yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is freedom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of my kids was struggling with his math homework. I'm like, listen, buddy, we do hard things. I'm giving him the proverbial pep talk. And he looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde? Instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest. I'm like, Ama de Blom, not I'm a dumb blonde. Do your homework. We'll look at Everest. I'm like, what? The H. So he does his homework. We look at Everest. He goes to bed. And I sit there and I think, you know what? Ama's harder than Everest. But if his perception is Everest is the hardest mountain in the world, I'm going to climb it. And I'm going to let him know that whatever your Everest is, you've got it. And so I hired a coach. I'm training for Everest and AMA. My coach gives me a book about becoming an uphill athlete. I'd never like slept in a tent before. So there's lots for me to learn. And um, in the front of the book, someone got a Guinness World Record for doing something in the Alps. And I was feeling kind of deflated as a mom at this moment when he calls me. I'm like, Alan, I could have done that. Like I can suffer and that is a suffer fest and she got a Guinness world record. My kids learned how to read on Guinness world records and I'd be the coolest mom ever because homeschooling, not cool. Like zero (laughs) cool factor. They don't like me. And Alan's like, I'll think of something. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not growing pumpkins. I'm not growing fingernails. I'm not speed eating hot dogs. So whatever. And then he came back and he's like, Jen, I think I have the perfect record for you. He goes, I think you should be the first woman to climb the seven second summits. I didn't even know what they were. I'm like, okay, what's that? He's like, okay, well, listen, it's never, it's been done by one male, hasn't been done by a female. It's harder than the first seven and it's seven continents, seven mountains. You have seven kids. So it sounds like a jackpot. I'm like, it does sound like a jackpot. I'm like, let me look at it. So I looked at it with the kids and the kids were all excited about it. I was excited about it. I said, yes. I'm not a mountaineer, but I'm like, whatever, if I don't do it, no one's done it before. So whatever, at least I'm trying. And my life very much left the thing of you have to win to it went into the area of you just have to experience. And so it gave me permission to step into that. And here we are. Yeah. And what was the order? Um, so I did Ojos del Salado in Chile first, Mount Kenya in Africa. I failed K2, went to Dictau in Russia, climbed that. Mount Tyree and Antarctica, failed Mount Logan, went back to Summit K2, went to Australia to Summit Mount Townsend, and then went back to Mount Logan and summited Mount Logan. So it took me um, nine attempts to summit seven mountains. And when you say failed there, was it expedition didn't work out? Was it weather? What was it? Yeah. So different things for each one. So K2, the first time I had a teammate pass away in an avalanche. 
Another one lost his hand to frostbite. Another one hurt their leg in the same avalanche. And I was on the mountain and I had the choice to go up with another team or come down and see what was going on with my team. And when someone asked me if I wanted to go up, I'm like, what do you mean? Like my teammates are injured. One died. Like I'm not going up this mountain. I'm going to be there for my team. And so it's interesting because I came back to the U.S. and I got home a couple of days later. My kids got home from camp and they're like, hey, mom, did you summit? Did you summit? I said, no, but I had success. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, who we show up as people is so much more important than what we'll ever achieve. And I gave up the mountain summit because I wanted to be there for my team. And you're going to be faced with these things in your life at some point too. Just make sure you're putting people over peaks in whatever you pursue. So the beauty of that story is that I go back to climb K2 in 2022. And about three weeks before I leave for the climb, I get a phone call. They're like, hey, Jen, are you coming back this season? Like, yeah, I am. Like, did you know there's a Pakistani female training to climb K2? I'm like, really? Like, yeah, she'd be the first one to climb our country's peak. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, we need help. I'll help. So I bring over gear and some other resources. And I summit K2. And 30 minutes later, the first Pakistani female stood on top of her country's prized peak. Wow. And I share that story because I think sometimes we have failures in our life and we think we're done. But I'm going to challenge you to question, are you still on the climb? Mm-hmm. As the universe have more made for you on your pursuit? Mm-hmm. So sure, I failed the first time, but I think I was supposed to, because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to be a part of the story that happened in 2022. And who you become in climbing the mountain is much better and much more valuable than the view from the top. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, like we might try to convince ourselves that we climb the mountain for the mountaintop. But if that was truly the case, we'd take a helicopter and go from one summit to the next and take some photos and say, here it is. No, we climb so that when we stand on that summit, it's a summation of all the times we said yes, when we could have said no. All the times we picked ourselves back up, all the times we said, no, this is not going to define me. I'm going to define it. And we found that resilience and continued on. That's why we celebrate summits. Describe making it to the summit of K2. Was that um, a feeling of elation? Was it a feeling more of like relief? What What was it when you were up there? Yeah. Um, when you get to the top of a mountain, you take this deep breath in, right? Like you, like this, I made it. So you're going, and when you take that breath in, everything disappears. There's no space. There's no time. There's no sun. There's no mountain. Like you're one with everything. And you're just in this moment of bliss and awe and just, wow, this is life. And then you breathe that out and you take a few more breaths in and out and you start kind of connecting to you as a human, the mountain starts separating from you. You hear the wind again, you feel the sun again, and you like say to yourself, okay, soul, I'm going to throw you back out there into this world. I can't wait till I find you again and whatever mountain that may be. Because I feel like there's plenty of quotes out there, like after a mountain is another mountain, right? There's always mountains for us to climb and it's who we get to become and how we get to experience life in those climbs that really give it the significance. Mm, it's so true. Yeah. What was the three most difficult mountains you climbed? Um, Mount Logan, Dick Tao, and Mount Tyree. So K2 has the reputation. Mm. It's because K2 is climbed. Mm. 
like people know K2. Um, when you climb those other three, they're just next level mountaineering expeditions. Can you describe those in, in more detail? Yeah. So Mount Logan, for example, like I still think like if someone would have told me what was involved, I would have been like, eh, well, I'll stick with the beaches. We're going to do the seven <laughs> nicest beaches yeah, in the world. Right. And let me figure out what ones those are. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you get dropped off on Mount Logan, you get dropped off in a plane with all your things. There's no Sherpa. There's no routes. There, you're on this huge glacier. And so you set up a tent and then you have to cut out ice blocks and build an ice wall because it's so windy that the wind will rip the tent and then you're dead. So you have to protect your tent. So not only do you set it up, but then you protect it. And then you have a sled and you're skiing up the mountain with all your gear. So I'm like 115 pounds. I'm carrying 80 pounds of gear. Right. So some of it's on my back, some of it's on the sled. You carry it and then you bury it so it doesn't blow away. Then you come back down to your tent, you melt water, you rehydrate food, and then you go to bed. And the next day you pack all that up. You ski past where you buried your stuff as far as you can go to set up another camp. So you unload the tent, you build the ice walls, you do all that kind of stuff. You go to bed, you ski back down to get your gear. You bring your gear back up like so you inchworm up this mountain like this and the entire time you're checking the weather, you're checking like your fuel, you're checking how you're feeling, you're making sure you're acclimatizing and you're on a ground that hasn't been tested. Like there could be a crevasse any minute. So every step you take is a poke to the left, a poke to the center and a poke to the right with a stick. And if that gets rejected, you trust that it's strong enough for you to take a step forward. And you do this for miles and days and you are, I mean, you're just like, if you're in a storm, we were in a storm one day and the snow was coming in. It was burying the tents. So we had to bury the tent out because the snow wall, like the wind wall would collect the snow. So you'd have to dig yourself out. And then we were, we were all in our gear because if the tent ripped, that was the only thing that was going to keep us warm. We'd lose everything. And you're saying, like, okay, if the tent rips, no one's coming to rescue us because the storm's this bad. And we're going to have to survive for 14 hours till this thing settles. And then maybe someone can come find you. They're not finding you. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, and then when you climb Dick Tower Tyree, there's no fixed ropes. So when you climb Everest and K2, they'll fix ropes like onto rocks or different bolts or things. And so then you, someone set the route and you're just following the route. When you're on those other two mountains, I'm roped off to you. And so there's no route. We're making the route up as we go, or we're following what other people have done in the past that we have the notes on or like a little notepad to give us an idea of where we're going. Potential landmines everywhere. And potential landmines everywhere. And then also, like if you slip, we're both falling until one of us stops us. So if I slip, I'm pulling on you. You slip, you're pulling on me. And so it's so much as we're trusting each other and we're here to protect each other. There's nothing else protecting us. So it's just like your brain is so on point because not only am I responsible for me, I'm responsible for you. Mm. And that's a huge motivator. And the Navy SEALs have interviewed on this podcast. They're saying yeah. actually the fear of letting the other person down is a huge motivator and doing huge. your best. Huge. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in all of us, right? Like when we struggle. So when I'm in a hard part on the mountain, I have to get out of my head. And so I start like sending thoughts to one of my kids. And then I get sick of that kid and I go to the next one and the next one and the next one. And so it's so much we're a connected species when it's hard. It's like, OK, now you got to focus on something bigger than yourself and it'll make it easier. Mm. And 
it's obviously a lot easier to ski down a mountain than it is to walk down a mountain when you're in the snow. How how often can you carry skis on these on these? Um... The only expedition we had, well, we had skis for Tyree because we had to build a base camp and then we skied to the base of the mountain and then hiked up the mountain. When we were on Mount Logan, we skied most of that mountain and then the last little stretch, we took the skis off and hiked. And like you think it'd be fun skiing on the way down, right? You're like, hey, I went up this mountain, I get to ski on the way down. Fresh we, groomer, no one's ever been here. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have free powder, free powder, right? But you can't ski where you haven't tested the ground. So when we're going up, we're planting bamboo sticks the entire way so that we can see where we've been. And when you ski down, you have to follow those sticks because I was on Everest and we had like the path that we followed. One of the Sherpa unclipped and walked four steps to the right to go to the bathroom, fell in a crevasse and never came out. One of the Sherpas did. One of the Sherpas. That's sometimes the problem with people that are experienced. They like forget how fragile the, like how mm-hmm. fragile we are yeah. and how big these mountains are. You get too and comfortable. They're yeah. too comfortable and they make a move like that. And so having that experience, like, like those bamboo sticks, I'm like, I am on them. Like I know what four feet to the side can do. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Is it true you see all the dead bodies on the trail at Everest? You do see a lot of them. Yeah. What's what's sort of the general? Is it like, let's try not to think about it or are you observing? Well, it's really interesting because Halloween's big in the US, right? So you go to a Halloween or you go to stores and you see mannequins and all that kind of stuff. When when I was first on Everest, I'm like, oh, they're going to feel like humans. They feel like there's no life in them, right? So they don't, they feel like a mannequin or they feel like someone dressed somebody up and like they're selling that new article of clothing or something. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but that's kind of the reality. So unless the color of the clothing caught your attention, nothing else is going to catch your attention on that. Mm, For sure. It's interesting. Uh, Do you feel like now that you've ticked all of these things off, is it like job done? I'm sick of mountaineering at this point in terms of like, I've ticked that off my list. I'm going to move on to beaches or any other pursuit that you've got. How do you you feel about that? Or is it uh, it now that I'm more determined than ever to climb more mountains? No, I mean, I did the mountain thing, right? Like I am a student of life and just curious about all the things. So I have so many interests. Like I will definitely climb mountains, but there's a lot of things I want to see and do and experience that I don't want this whole life to be mountaineering. For sure. And your new book, Breakproof, is coming out soon. What's the problem that you wanted to solve with your new book? And who do you want someone to be once they've finished reading it? Yes. Um, So I wrote the book to a younger version of me. I wrote the book to me before I had the car accident that was waiting for permission to do life. And this book is a permission slip for you to step into what's in your heart and understand that that's why you're here and to set your life up so that you can make it come to life. So good. Was there uh, anyone in particular, Apart, I know you said you wrote it for yourself, but are there some people out there, is it someone who's going through a tough time or someone who's maybe in a job that they hate or a marriage where they feel stuck in or someone who just doesn't know what they want to do in life? Yeah, someone who feels like they're made for more or at a plateau or like sold a company and like now where am I, where do I go from here, right? So somebody that just has that itch. And that itch is going to be scratched by reading the book. <laughs> and in the book, you mentioned seven strategies to build resilience and achieve your life goals. Is there one or two of the strategies that really stand out for you? You know, big mountains take big teams. So if the bigger your goal, the bigger your pursuit, the bigger the team you're going to need to make it happen. If your team's too small, you're going to be doing too many jobs and you're not going to have the resilience to see it to the end. So I I love that analogy. And whenever I'm getting overwhelmed on something, I'm like, do I have enough people on this team to make this happen? 
right? Instead of like, what do I need to do more of? It's like, oh, I'm getting worn out. Who else do I need to have help me? So I think that's a big framework to help people with things. And it's our instinct to do more ourselves. It's like, oh, I'm I'm the only one who could do this in the best way instead of saying, cool, why don't I create an epic process and hire someone else who can do it so I'm freed up to do something else. Yeah, right. And just carry the torch longer. Um, And then I think another key aspect is waving your flag. Like we love to wave our flag on the summit of a mountain, right? Like here I am, I made it, blah, 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 blah. But learning how to wave your flag along the whole journey is signaling to the world, here's what I'm trying to do, here's what I need, and here's how I can help. So if we look at my K2 example that we talked about earlier, like I didn't summit, I was coming back, people knew that, I had my flag out. And so look how I was able to help that girl, look how she was able to make my journey more meaningful. And so when we have the courage to wave our flag anywhere we are, it just is going to help us achieve what we desire to achieve in ways bigger than what we could have come up with ourselves. You've shared so many things today that have very much aligned with exactly the way that special forces like Navy SEALs and things really? think about, like the bigger the mission, the bigger the team and and having the preparation done beforehand. Like a lot, they also talk a lot about exposing yourself to war before yes. you go to war, yes. like yes. proper training and, and the simplest form of success. It's so basic that people never even really think about it is that if you want to achieve a goal, find someone who has already done that and just get, just do exactly what they tell you. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's it. Right. Yeah. Like study the greats. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Uh, final question before the rock around on your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day? I am worthy. Mm, I love it. Let's time move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions to some quick answers. You up for this one, Jen? Let's do it. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? I just want to live while I'm alive from Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? I'm a tea drinker. <laughs> Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Have more fun. Number four, what book do you gift the most or is there a book that contributed most to the mindset you have today? Um, Atlas Shrugged mm. by Anne Rand back yeah. in the day. Any particular lessons that you remember or stand out? Not off the top of my head. I just know, like, I remember reading that being like, I'm never going to be the same human. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Um, yeah, being vulnerable, right? Like I always tried to hide that piece of me and the more I've been able to embrace what makes me vulnerable, the more support I've been able to have. Mm-hmm. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? It's on the path to success. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Harriet Tubman. Mm. Any specific questions you'd like to ask or talk about? Yeah, how she had the bravery to help with slavery at that time when her life was at risk. Mm. I did a report on her in third grade. I was fascinated with her. And ever since then, I'm like, man, what an amazing human. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? Oh, Calendly. <laughs> yeah. Calendly's great, isn't it's it? It's amazing. You saw it for this podcast. I mean, yes. you enter someone's email, all of this stuff, all the automations takes care of itself. Oh, it's beautiful. Huge fan of Calendly. This is not sponsored by Calendly, this podcast yet. episode. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give us a couple of weeks. Uh, number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. What's what are you, you mentioned a big bucket list earlier. Is there anything on it that you haven't done yet? I am taking three of my boys to go climb in Africa in February, and I am so excited about sharing that journey with them. How do they feel about that journey? We are going to find out in a week <laughs> when we do a test drive climb at home. <laughs> awesome. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Mm, I have a positive toothbrush talk. So when I brush my teeth in the morning, I only allowed myself to say positive things to myself during that time. 
So good. What an episode this has been. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Jen. I'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram at Drummond. Visit her website, jendrummond.com, and grab a copy of her brand new book, Breakproof. Again, all that and more will be linked in the show notes. Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win the Day podcast. We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today, so drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have, or what actions you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win the Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win the Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.